My name is Vida Sister Prince. Today is June 12, 1992, and I am interviewing George Tilden about World War II for the Missouri Historical Society. George Tilden, during the early years of the war, was a Boy Scout and in the later years served, uh, served in the armed forces in the South Pacific. George, I see you've, you've got some things that you've brought. So, you shall we? Do you want to? Do you want to bring them into the conversation when, when well, we get I've, to them? Or okay, I brought like these uh, publications because uh, in 1976, the St. Louis Council uh, published uh, <coughs> a booklet uh, on scouting from its inception in St. Louis through the uh, centennial celebration, which happened to be 65 years. In addition, I have a book that I purchased at the uh, Jamboree in 1985, which is a 75-year history of scouting nationwide. Uh, each of these uh, uh, publications have comments about scouting activities during World War II, and perhaps, which I didn't really look for, uh, even into Korea. Uh, you have some personal oh, things? This is a brief history of the ship I served on during World War II. Right. It was a troop transport, and uh, it uh, originally was a uh, luxury liner, and uh, the Navy took it over in 1942 and converted it to a troop transport and it gives an, an itinerary of all of its stops in 1942 through uh, 1945 and then I left in 1946. Thank you and we'll, Mike, we'll go into that a little bit more thoroughly when we get there. Uh, is there anything about the scouting or some photographs. Oh, those photographs are old Navy photographs. Oh, okay, so, so we'll just begin with yeah. uh, Your date of birth is August 1st? 1st, 1926. Okay, and so uh, you were 15 years old in 1941? Yes. All right. Who were you living with? Well, at that time I was living with my parents, and we lived in uh, Maplewood, Missouri. Okay. And, uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, December the 7th, we were on a Sunday outing driving around and ended up on the east side at a restaurant to have lunch, at which time we heard <coughs> about the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And from then on it was following the uh, activities of the uh, Japanese and the American Armed Forces. Uh, at that time by radio and newspaper. What was your reaction to your family? I mean, were you sitting at lunch? Were you in the car? Well, we were sitting at lunch. I can remember what I ordered for lunch. It was when cheeseburgers first came out, or I first became aware of them. And uh, we were, uh, I would say, shocked, uh, surprised. Um, at that point in my life, I didn't uh, follow uh, world events as closely as I do now or as closely as I did two years later when I became involved in the uh, conflict. And you had, did you ever think that at 15, in two years, you would be 
that didn't come into your mind? That came into my mind, and I had made my mind up that I was not going to go into the Army uh, by way of the draft. Uh, I have an aversion to uh, having to walk very far, and I thought the Navy would be a much better place for me. What was St. Louis like for you in those days? Well, St. Louis was a very uh, closed community, as it is today in my mind. Uh, the, uh, I've always lived in the suburbs. Uh, of course, we had streetcars back then, and uh, I don't know. I never really uh, thought too much about it. The only time that we went down into the main city was if uh, we went to the ball game or uh, we were going Christmas shopping or some special uh, event. Where did you go to high school? Maplewood High School. And did you, were you an only child? No, I have a sister, and then after the war I have a, a brother that was born when I was 21. Uh, <laughs> um, and when did you join the Boy Scouts? I joined the Boy Scouts in 1937 as a Cub Scout. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that time I was well, I was 10 years old, and you had to be 12 years old to go into, into the Boy Scout organization. So when I was 12, I progressed up the line to Boy Scouting and uh, continued, have continued since that time. Was your father interested? My in scout, my How father. How did you happen to do well, it? Just well, scouting has always been sort of neighborhood oriented in that. Uh, a lot of the schools sponsored scouting units as they do today. Uh, churches and uh, other organizations. Uh, for a while, the scout unit I was associated with was sponsored by the uh, veterans of foreign wars. Uh, my father was a scout, and his scouting activities occurred during World War One, Now, he was not, he was at that age where he missed World War One, but he was involved in scouting. And from the stories I've heard and articles I've read, uh, scouts were as involved in uh, various activities during World War One as we were during World War Two. And what, what were you involved in? in during World War Two. Uh, there was a great amount of activity concerning the collection of scrap metal, and the scouts uh, would go around uh, the neighborhoods and pick it up from the curb, and we threw it in a truck, and then it was trucked off to a, a salvage yard where it was sorted and uh, processed into uh, whatever equipment uh, was required. So it was a house to house? It was house to house. They put it on the curb or you went to the house? <clears throat> no, they put it on the curb. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was public announcements uh, that there would be uh, a scrap metal pickup and that the scouts or whatever organization would be around to pick it up on a certain day. Well, now, was it like after school or was it on Saturday? Well, it was after school and on Saturday, yes. Was this a, a constant thing? Well, 
Yes, it was constant, and because uh, there was a constant, uh, or people were made aware constantly of the need for things that were in short supply, uh, whether or not whether they were in short supply or not, I, I don't know, but I do know that in my mind, the uh, idea of keeping the community aware of the war effort. Uh, this was just one means, and uh, at that time, uh, a lot of things were rationed. Uh, shoes were rationed, uh, uh, food, gasoline, uh, and tires. I remember especially. And did that affect your family? What did your father do? Well, at that time, we had a car. Uh, we uh, didn't drive it a great deal uh, as we did before the war, but uh, my father at that time was working for the, uh, I mean, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization. It was the uh, War Board of Production. And as such, he was uh, required to drive extensively and because of that, uh, he was able to get extra gasoline ration coupons. Did you have any idea what he did? Not really. I knew he worked in an office. I knew he was involved in uh, war production. Uh, one thing I do remember is that at that time, Weldon Springs uh, was built, and he came home and said, you know, it takes 33 miles of chain link fencing to surround the operation out there. And it was my understanding that it was a, uh, an ammunition storage depot and perhaps manufacturing depot. I've been out there after the war and some of those old storage units are still open and you can, they're not used but you can look at them. I believe it was one of the largest <coughs> Um, okay, what else did Scott's talk about? Okay, uh, as we became older, and this would go into 1942 and 1943, uh, the Civil Defense Program was established. Uh, I don't remember all the positions uh, in that, but I do remember that uh, my grandfather was an air raid warden and uh, a good neighbor of ours was also an air raid warden. The Boy Scouts uh, were encouraged to uh, become involved, and we served as messengers uh, for the air raid warden. Uh, we would, when they had uh, their uh, test days or nights, uh, we would go to the air raid warden's home, and then we would. Uh, walk the neighborhood with them, and uh, if it was necessary, uh, we were expected to carry uh, messages or information uh, to a headquarters location. And it was very serious. It was considered serious, and again, I think in my mind, I don't think I ever felt that the uh, war would ever uh, arrive on the North American continent. Uh, and I, I believed then, and I believe now, that it was uh, 
a program to make people constantly aware of the conflict and the potential for trouble. Did people, did you feel that people responded as far as the blackouts and? I thought people responded well because uh, if we saw anyone that was showing light, all we had to do was knock on their door and, and mention it to them and uh, they uh, joined in the uh, spirit of the program. And then, uh, of course, 1943, uh, I... Uh, Wait, you're, you're, we're not finished yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> did, you, did, you, uh, did your mother stay home or did she work outside the home? No, my mother was home at all, all times. She, uh, she never worked until uh, my mother and father were divorced in 1950, and then she went to work. Um, did, uh, did your sister have any? No, my sister's four years younger than I am, so, so she was, she was uh, sort of out of it at that time. Was there anything going on at Maplewood High School that you were involved in during the war, aside from the scouts? Yes. In the high school, uh, I took a lot of industrial arts courses and uh, mechanical drawing courses and we made uh, model airplanes of both the uh, Japanese and American and British Air Force. Uh, these models were probably uh, less than 12 inches in length or width and were used to uh, train uh, people in the armed forces uh, on identification of aircraft. You were very much involved, as you know. I mean, whether or not I realized it at that time, I don't know. But. Yes, you were. Um, did you buy defense stamps? Or did they sell them in school? Uh, I don't remember them being sold at schools. Uh, we, we bought our stamps uh, at the uh, Maplewood Bank and Trust Company at the which was then located at the corner of Sutton and Manchester, but that's now a great big shopping center. Mm -hmm. uh, air raid drills, did they have those? We had the air raid drills, and that was when the uh, scouts that acted as messengers went with their air raid wardens. And, uh, at school? Oh, no, not at school. Mm -hmm. No, no. No, we had no, I don't remember any thing other than fire drills. At school, but no air raid drills. Uh, and making your uh, making the model airplane. The planes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, do you remember your mom talking about rationing? Or? I can remember my mother talking about it because after I went in the Navy, at that time she was working for uh, Bettendorf's Market in Maplewood. <coughs> And <clears throat> she managed a portion of the meat department. And for some reason, they always found an extra piece of meat that she could bring home when she let them know that I was going to be home on leave. Uh, Victory Garden? I remember Victory Gardens. Uh, I personally did not participate in uh, a Victory Garden project. Um, bomb drives or rallies. Do you, were you aware of anything like that as a child? Just, just 
Well, yes, I was aware of it because uh, a lot of these rallies, uh, of course, they attracted uh, people that the public recognized and that uh, would help draw a crowd. I don't remember participating in any of them, though. But the scouts may have done that. The scouts may have done that. I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, so now we're at um, uh, 1943. 1943. How, how did this happen? Well, 19, 1943 came along, and uh, I can't. I know. I remember. I know. I was registered for it. I was going to have to register for the draft. And I decided at that point that I was not going to register for the draft. And I attempted to get into the B-5 or B-12 programs, which was uh, the aviation programs. Uh, but I couldn't pass the physical. So, and I hadn't graduated from high school. So I decided to go ahead and join the Navy and uh, had basically a little trouble with my parents uh, as far as joining the Navy. Uh, and you did this be because you didn't want to go in the Army. That's correct. And so you, did, were they concerned that you weren't finishing high school? No, because I had done three and a half years by that time, had all my required courses, and we were aware that by going through basic training uh, in the Navy, that that would uh, provide enough credit so that I could get my high school diploma, which I did. I came back in 1945. I was on leave in one summer and went through the graduation process with a high school class. I got back not knowing I was going to, and after uh, all the caps and gowns were ordered, so I went through in my service uniform. How tall were you in uh, 1943? I'm six foot four. Okay. <laughs> um, and very skinny. And very skinny. <laughs> uh, so tell me how it happened. Well, I decided to join the Navy. Um, I went down to the uh, recruiting office in the new federal building at 12th and Market. And my father went along for whatever reason. Uh, I think he was uh, as curious about it as I was. Um, I didn't, you said they had to sign for you? Yes. Uh, and there was two ways that was done. And I honestly can't remember how it happened. But I believe when I went down to enlist that my father signed the paper. And then we brought it home with us and my mother signed it. And then you went uh, through preliminary processing at uh, the federal building and then we were uh, given a date to be back to the federal building and we were taken down to uh, Jefferson Barracks where we were given a formal physical and either accepted or rejected. It was at that time that uh, I wasn't aware of it. But when I came back and told my mother I'd passed the examination at Bedendorf's Market, she 
he said, you know, did you experience any trouble? I said, no, what are you talking about? It was the beginning of race riots in St. Louis. And there was trouble at one of the uh, city swimming pools. I can't tell you. I don't remember Fairgrounds. It's kind of, I'm not sure. I don't know. But there was, there was trouble that summer uh, at a swimming pool. And then uh, after I passed my physical. Was she concerned for you? She was concerned about my safety. And why I'm thinking it was not Fairgrounds, I was thinking it was South St. Louis because we had to come from Jefferson Barracks. We came up through South St. Louis back to downtown. I, I just can't. It's interesting that um, she was concerned about your safety in St. Louis with race riots and she was signing a paper for you to go off to fight in a war. Well, <laughs> I think, you know, she knew she knew I would rather be in the Army as a, I mean, rather be in the Navy as opposed to the Army. And I think also in her mind, it was the better of two options. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. I mean, oh. there's danger and there's danger. Oh, well. <laughs> well, you know, I think the civil uprising, if we want to call it that, uh, was something that, uh, that we were not accustomed to in, in that early time. And, uh, and, it, and it, how major it was, I don't remember. But I, I know it was major enough that I can remember seeing pictures in the Star Times and the Post-Dispatch. Uh, and I think, it, uh, I think it unsettled a lot of people that something like this could happen. So that someone had, uh, would they wanted to go swimming, was that it? Yes. Because at that time, everything was segregated. Isn't it? Okay, so, so you... So I passed my physical and we had maybe a week or 10 days uh, to get our affairs in order, such as they were for a youngster. Uh, what were they for a youngster? What did for me, it was what, what I did. Mm -hmm. I took all of my clothing and uh, packed it in a trunk and uh, so that the room that I was using could be used by my sister and uh, put all my personal belongings in one trunk and set it in the corner. And who did you say goodbye to? Oh, I, uh, my parents, my sister, my grandfather uh, were all living in the same household uh, and I saw some aunts and uncles that lived on the, the east side said goodbye to them. Uh, that was about it. So we're rather, my father had no brothers or sisters. So beyond his father, there was no family on his side in St. Louis. My mother had one sister who at that time lived in California. Her mother had died when she was four or five years old, so the only uh, relatives she had were her mother's sisters, who were her aunts, and one brother. Uh, 
Did you have a scoutmaster or anybody that was important to you with that time? Well, I can remember the two scoutmasters that I had. Uh, one was a, a gentleman by the name of Clyde Claywell who lived in Maplewood and who I believe worked for the uh, Postal Service. Uh, he is since deceased. Uh, and the other gentleman I remember was, and I can't remember his first name, but a man by the name of Jablonski, uh, who was our scoutmaster at summer camp in 1943. Did scouts give you anything as far as a farewell? No, because when, when we went to summer camp in 1943, uh, the troop that I belonged to didn't have any boys in it other than one boy uh, who wanted to go to summer camp. And uh, I had a neighborhood boy who was the son of the coach of the St. Louis Browns who wanted to go to summer camp. Uh, this neighbor boy uh, lived in St. Louis during the baseball season. And so we went to summer camp. Uh, I mean, they didn't give you a send off. Oh no, there was no big. Oh no, no, no send off, no send off by the high school or or the scouting organization. Did your friends wonder why you were doing this, or was, hmm. or, were, or was this what people did? I think this is what people did because uh, when I joined the Navy, and I was not aware of it when I did it, but there was two of my high school classmates that ended up in the same uh, boot camp that I was at. All right. So, uh, so carry on, you were sent to? Well, okay, and then we uh, were told to come back to the uh, federal building downtown, and uh, we were told to bring a bag of extra clothing, uh, you know, change of clothing. Uh, and we walked from uh, the federal building to Union Station. Uh, of course, there was a lot of people there. There was, uh, my parents were there, uh, and the parents of a lot of the other fellows uh, to say goodbye. And uh, we got on a troop train. Did your sister and your grandpa go too? Yes, yes. Uh, we got on a troop train that was uh, fabricated from boxcars. The, uh, the sleeping uh, units were bunks that were three high. And during the day, the middle bunk would fold down. The bottom bunk was the seat. And the middle bunk was the back. And that was your chair. Uh, and also, for meals, uh, they had another <laughs> boxcar that had been converted into a uh, kitchen car, which you walk through cafeteria style, and you picked your meal up and then went back to your bunk car and, and ate your meal. So and this was a trip from St. Louis to San Diego. And as I remember, it was four days and three nights to get from St. Louis to San Diego. Do you remember Union Station before you left? I remember Union Station very well. Uh, it was uh, 
you know, 42 tracks wide. It was uh, very crowded. Uh, of course, travel was restricted, and I suspect a lot of the travel at that time was primarily uh, military movement. Uh, on the train, you were put together with a lot of different Well, men. yes, and I, it was, they were all people that were either going into the Navy or going into the Marine Corps. Uh, I can't remember how, how many uh, boxcars were on that train, but uh, I would say at least 10, and I'm going to kind of guess as to how many would be in each car, but probably in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 people. No, never been away from home before. Yeah. Besides summer camp, no, never had. How was it to to be there? Well, I, I guess we all had a lot of anxieties uh, that didn't really show because uh, it was a, a new adventure. Uh, most of us were going places we'd never been before. Uh, at that point in time, I had never really been out of the state of Missouri, other than to go to the uh, Illinois side to visit relatives. Um, so it was a whole new experience for me that and I honestly look forward to. You know, to look out the window and look at the country, it's yeah. not the <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a lot of talking, there was a lot of looking, and there was just a lot of horseplay. But, and, uh, and there was a lot of uh, two or three hour sidetracks on the uh, in the deserts of New Mexico and Arizona. Did you feel, George, that, that you were in good hands? I wasn't concerned. I mean, I think uh, I think my experience in scouting uh, developed a lot of unknown self-reliance until I needed it. So that. Uh, I wasn't concerned. I don't think I really got homesick until uh, we got to California and you went through that first 10 days or so of training. You were pretty uh, discouraged uh, because of the demands that were made on you. But after, after you physical finished... Physical demands? Well, physical, mental, both. Uh, things that you weren't used to doing. I mean, I was not... Uh, an athlete in high school, yes, I ran track, but uh, uh, I never really went through the kind of conditioning programs uh, that we had in the service. Uh, but after our three weeks of uh, what they called uh, basic training, well, no, not basic Good training. Uh, it was three weeks of isolation where you uh, you couldn't leave the camp, you couldn't leave your barracks area. Uh, they uh, kept us that way in case there was any diseases that developed. Uh, but after the three weeks, uh, we sure we got uh, about 10 hours of uh, liberty where we were able to go into San Diego. I was fortunate. Uh, my mother's sister and her husband and two daughters lived in San Diego, so I had a place to go. Uh, what were your feelings about fighting this war? I didn't have any.
question. <laughs> what were your feelings about fighting this war? I guess we all had apprehensions about fighting, but I think that everybody that I was associated with uh, during boot camp felt that it was our responsibility and that uh, our chances of being hurt or killed uh, probably were no greater than they would have been if we were at home. At least that was my feeling about it. Uh, a lot of the fellows that I went through boot camp with uh, weren't as fortunate as I was, and a lot of them ended up in the Alaskan area and uh, were killed up there. Uh, killed in Alaska? Well, in the uh, Atu Islands, the Japanese did invade those islands. Um, my, my, my initial assignment out of boot camp was to go to, uh, to stay in San Diego, and I worked at the uh, fleet post office for a while. And I had an opportunity to then uh, go to Navy Mail Clerk School, and I was transferred to San Francisco, and I worked in the free post office there. And then I was transferred to the uh, USS President Jackson. Okay. And that, as you said, had been a luxury liner? It had been. It was a, mm -hmm. a liner that was. Uh, let me see. was built for the American President Lines in 1939, and the ship had made one voyage around the world before the Navy uh, appropriated it to convert it to a troop ship. What actually was your job? On, on the ship, my job, I ran the post office and served as a, um, well, it was a yeoman, which is a secretary, to the navigator mm -hmm. of the ship. Okay. And it was my responsibility, two of us had the responsibility of maintaining the post office and the uh, typing up the formal log of the ship. Okay. And so um, you went on that ship in 45, let's see. You went in? Went in 43, <laughs> most of See, I went in the middle of 43. That's you said, you told me you, you went, it was July 43. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't go on the ship, let's see here, until 1945. 1945? What was the date? Do you mm. remember, was it early? Well, it was early in the year. Because I was looking up when, you said that, that you were the trans, you put the transport, you put the Marines on Iwo Jima. Right. That okay. was in early 45. That was February 45. Right. February the 19th. Mm-hmm. And we stayed there until March the 6th. Did you have much contact with those troops? Uh, you had contact with the troops, uh, yes. Uh, just in your everyday work, uh, they had nothing to do uh, other than do a little training while they were aboard ship and, and maintain their equipment. They did have free time. Uh, 
at some times they ate with us. Uh, so we, we had contact all the time because they could use our uh, soda fountain in our ship's door, and our laundry and such as that. So we were in constant uh, contact with the troops. How did they handle this? I don't know that I was really aware of what they were thinking about. They, they were always a, a very uh, jovial group, if we can use that term. Uh, they didn't cause trouble. Uh, we uh, sometimes had jobs for them on the ship to keep their idle hands busy. When you <clears throat> deliver men like that, how is it done? How was it done on Iwo Jima? Well, we arrived off of Iwo Jima, and the ship that I was on had landing craft. The landing craft were put in the water, and the men, uh, the Marines or the Army people, would then uh, go down rope ladders uh, into the landing craft. When the landing craft was loaded, it would move off from the ship and rendezvous with a group of landing craft, which in effect would form a wave of uh, boats that would then proceed into the uh, uh, beach area. You'd empty them out, come back and load up and go again. But you could hear the fighting and you could... You could hear it, you could, couldn't really see it because you were very distant. <coughs> Um, what? None, of the, none of the men on the ship, other than the fellows that uh, were uh, <coughs> managing the boats, got on the beach. We never got on the beach, no. so just the... Uh, um, did you feel pretty lucky? Very fortunate. Uh, the, the ship I was on was very fortunate in that uh, it never suffered any major damage uh, during the war, and it was the ship that landed uh, the first uh, combat troops in World War II, and that was done at uh, Guadalcanal. Uh, and there was, yes, the ship did suffer some casualties, uh, not while I was on it. You were very fortunate. Um, were there any blacks on that ship? Yes, there was. Uh, and they all served as uh, steward's mates or cooks, and they lived in separate quarters. It was segregated at that time. Um, uh, the Navy wasn't really integrated until just before and during the Korean conflict. So it was a little later than the Army. Uh, the Army was, uh, Truman passed that in 1948. And well, yeah, well, when I say just before Korea, yeah. so that was um, What were your expectations of what you thought you would do as a, as a man? when you were young. Did you have, you, you 
your yeah. high school education, had you planned to go to college? Um, My parents had planned for me to go to college, yes. Um, and really, uh, I guess, joining the Navy, you know, interrupted those plans or delayed them somewhat. And then uh, after World War II was over, I stayed in the Naval Reserve and uh, went to college in Missouri, graduated from college. Where in Missouri? At uh, Fayette, Missouri. At, uh, it was Central College at that time. It is now, uh, they changed the name to Central Methodist College. Um, and after... Excuse me, was it the GI Bill? Did you need Yes, that? yes. Okay, uh, graduated from college in August of 1950 and was back in the Navy in December of 1950. Yeah, how and why? Korea. Oh, Korea. Back in because of Korea. Did you, you offered yourself or did they come no, and get you? No, they came and called. They sent me a nice letter. <laughs> We're glad to have you back. But uh, <coughs> I went was called back in uh, in December and went to uh, Great Lakes Naval Training Station outside of Chicago and uh, was reprocessed. Of course, when I came out of the Navy, I was out of World War II. I came out a uh, second-class petty officer. I went back in with the same rank uh, during Korea, the uh, rating that I had had changed somewhat. It was still running the Navy Post Office, but they had also added uh, cryptographic work to the rating. Uh, that being code? Code work. Mm -hmm. um, after processing the Great Lakes, I was uh, transferred to the submarine base at New London, Connecticut, and uh, assigned to the uh, shore facilities there. Mm -hmm. While I was there, I became aware of a program that was available to college graduates where you could apply for officer candidate school, which I did. And um, I'm trying to get my dates here. In uh, getting my well, commissioning dates and my marriage dates all messed <laughs> up here. Anyway, you I, got was, your commission. I, I was uh, I was accepted into the Officer Canada program. I was transferred to uh, Newport News, Rhode <laughs> Island. Newport News what? Rhode Island. Oh, uh, not Newport Virginia. News. Um, Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, okay. Newport, Rhode Island. And went to uh, Officer Candidate School there, which was uh, 60 days. And after completing that course, uh, I was transferred to uh, Bayonne, New Jersey. And it was in. Can't get this straight. Well, let me ask you some questions. Sure. Um, did you have the same feeling about the Korean War as you did about the fighting in the Second World War? My feelings about the Korean War were a lot different. 
I graduated from college. By the time I graduated from officer candidate school, I was married. At that point in time, I had decided to make the Navy my career and um, stayed with it uh, until I believe the uh, Secretary of Defense was a man named Johnson. And at that point in time, he had uh, suggested and implemented a reduction in the armed forces after the Korean War was over. And I remember going before <clears throat> a selection board for retention in the Navy, and there were 10 of us that were uh, granted the option of staying in the Navy. Now, recognize that I was in a specialty corps, the supply corps, and the specialty corps officers were taken in a direct ratio of the regular Navy line officer. And of the 10 of us that were selected, five of us got to stay, and I was not one of the five. But the five who stayed, I later learned that uh, one fellow retired as a rear admiral, one as a captain, and three as a commander in the Navy. Were you disappointed? Yes. But I had a job to come back to. What, which was? Uh, I, at, during the period from graduation from college until I went back in the Navy in December, I worked for the Terminal Railroad at Union Station in the uh, Auditor and Treasurer's Office. And uh, when it became apparent to me that it was uh, a touch-and-go situation in the Navy, and that you could be there or they could say, well, we don't need you any longer, I decided to, uh, to leave the Navy, and uh, I left in November of 1953. Came back to St. Louis and uh, bought a house and went to work for the railroad. Where'd you buy a house? Kirkwood. And, and did the GI Bill yes, help you the, do that? Yes, the, uh, the financing on the house was covered by the, the Veterans Administration loan. Right. Very well. Um, well, let's t let's talk about the impact on your life by being by the by the war. Uh, wars was was one different than the other. What was the Second World War? Well, I guess the Second World War is when you compare that to Korea. Well, let's just talk about what it had on you, the Second World War, if you can divide it up that way. Well, I think the Second World War. Uh, made me a lot more independent uh, of my family and of just being able to, to uh, take care of myself. Um, I didn't have uh, any desire to leave home and I always, uh, whenever I was not at school, I was at home uh, during the summers. and. Uh, I, I would say that the Navy did an awful lot for, my, for me. I, you know, I got to travel a great deal. Uh, I enjoyed the life. Uh, there was opportunity for advancement for those that were willing to uh, put forth a little effort. Uh, 
I just I just thought it was one of the wonderful opportunities in my life, uh, even though we were involved in a war. Uh, and I think that proves itself out because when I went back in the Navy, those opportunities were still there, and I took advantage of them and uh, used them to my best effort. Did you, which was? Well, which was a constant advancement uh, up the ladder because when I left the Navy, I left the Navy as a lieutenant junior grade. Mm -hmm. And I went in and as an apprentice seaman. Mm -hmm. so. um, did you see people killed? No. I, only, I saw people killed uh, while I was in the Navy re, uh, Reserve. But not in battle? Not in battle. Okay. No. Well, that was, that was, you, you put those troops on that bloody island and then. But we didn't take them off. But you didn't take them off? No. Did, did, this is maybe coming from a way out place, but did you ever have any feeling, what was the feeling that, that you were on that ship and you just let them off going into pure I, I'd say I, the thing I, the, the time that I was most concerned about my safety on that ship was not in combat, was after the war had ended and we were in Saipan at the time of the tidal wave. Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't my question. I know, but, well, okay. Do you know my, what my question was? Well, Did you have a sense of guilt at all? None at all. None at all. About being in, in a safe place and they're getting off and going into... Uh, the, uh, no, I didn't because I think, you know, that, that was one of the reasons I joined the Navy. I mean, it was, I don't want to say it was common knowledge, but it was, uh, it was a kind of a common little joke was, you know, why sleep in the mud when you can sleep on clean sheets every night mm -hmm. in the Navy? Well, you know, why why eat your meals out of a canteen lid when you can have a hot meal aboard ship? If it wasn't sunk out from under you. Well, that's true. That's right. Um, all right, you're... you're so from so you also um, besides the, the advancement, you you got your education. Got my education. And your home. And my home, and uh, you know before before I got that, I would not have stayed in the navy if my wife did not like the life. But she enjoyed it. She she knew the life while I was an enlisted man. And she knew the life after I got my commission. And the life. So you stayed in how long? Well, I stayed in until 1953. Uh, the lifestyle and the social uh, chances between the two groups at that time mm -hmm. was pretty wide. You. The enlisted men associated with enlisted people, the officers associated with officers. Um, it was a regular routine for the officer personnel in that 
when you and your family were at a naval station, you were expected to be able to receive guests between the hours of four and six every day. And you were expected when you arrived at a naval station to call on your commanding officer, his assistant, and the officer you reported to. There was a very set Statue. social pattern that was easy to follow, which some people complained about, but which served a very definite purpose. By, by following the pattern, you became acquainted immediately with everybody when you arrived in the new station. If you made a call, you could expect a call from the person you made a call on within a week. It worked that well. Everybody knew what they had to Everybody do. Everybody knew what they had to do, and uh, you know, being the junior officer in a naval shipyard can be a lot of fun. What What did you bring back to St. Louis into the scouting? Because you're still involved in scouting. What did you bring back as in the fifties? I guess you came back and. Yeah. That, out. Mm -hmm. that you had gotten from oh, I think what you I, are other men. Yeah, other men. I think what I got out of the service, I wanted to get back to the things I had done before I went in the service, and scouting was just one of those things. Uh, I think, you know, scouting does more for a person than they realize until they're about 40 years old. Uh, George and I are sitting here both <laughs> smiling at each other, thinking of our own <laughs> yeah. memories. But uh, no, I, it, it, uh, to me, scouting is a lot of fun because it provides people with an opportunity to, to help young boys uh, develop skills uh, that they wouldn't have the opportunity to develop unless their parents happen to be interested in outdoor activities. But it's more than outdoor activities, isn't it? Scouting is more than outdoor activities, but you got to recognize that that is what makes scouting work. If you didn't have the outdoor activities, you got to have a program. And what kind of a program can you have to keep boys interested when they're inside? Is there anything in scouting that what is different now than it was? Well, scouting today, and I guess today starts, I'll say, in 1980, is different because of the uh, increased participation by the females. Scouting was always a man and boy. I'd like to center it on St. Louis. Okay, well, even St. Louis, scouting was a man and boy operation uh, until 1980. Uh, now, exception to that being Cub Scouts. And Cub Scouting was always a, uh, a den mother, but you had an, a, a male adult leader for the whole uh, Cub Pack group. But today, uh, there is a lot of a lot of women that are active, 
And I suspect that this has been caused by the single parent home uh, as one contributing factor, although the women that I know in scouting are all uh, people that are involved in two parent families. Uh, so you do things with the Girl Scouts? Are you? I was associated <laughs> with the Girl Scouts. Because for a women while. were always involved with the Cub Scouts. Yeah, women have always been involved <coughs> with the Cub Scouts. And Maybe it's just a changing society, but women have advanced up and now they want to be involved in a lot of things. Is that good for scouting? Well, I don't know. I know this, that in other countries it works. In other countries you have co-ed scouting. Now, the Boy Scouts have co-ed scouting or the group that are referred to the, as explorers, which is ages 15 through 20. And that is a co-ed, that can be a co-ed operation. How about um, integrating uh, the blacks? Was, that, was it always open? Was that segregated? Well, it was, it was segregated as far as I know when I was a boy because we did not have any minority individuals in the groups that I was associated with. Now, uh, since I've been out of the Navy in 1953, uh, they've been integrated and it's worked well. Are there any black scoutmasters? Yes, but I don't know. I, I can't say that there are black scoutmasters or predominantly white troops that I don't know that. And what is your job today? Today I'm a unit commissioner and um, I'm the go-between between the local unit and uh, the uh, St. Louis headquarters in that uh, we just help them with uh, major programs that happen during the year such as our food for scouting program, uh, provide information. We uh, are there when they need to re-register. Uh, any uh, program that's council-wide, the unit commissioner gets involved uh, to reduce the amount of work that other people have to do in, in transmitting uh, information to the local unit. I saw in the paper where the scouts put down the uh, flowers at the Jefferson Barracks uh, on Memorial Day. Yeah, that that has been done by what uh, you know, a district called Gravois Trails. Now they've done that for a number of years. I wanted to ask though, do do you give them any background? Do you give the young boys any background in? The war. What, do you do you give them a sense of history? Well, we uh, now we we try to do that in a very soft way in the area that I am. Uh, we you're had here in Kirkwood. Yes, uh, we had a camporee the first of May. The camporees always involve about a thousand boys uh, in from the Kirkwood, Webster, uh, Chesterfield area. 
in the uh, camperies or boy run. Uh, now the boys have adult advisors. And the adult advisor in this case arranged for a, a fife and drum group to lead the boys into the opening ceremony. And then uh, they had three different flags that had flown uh, had been flown by the United States, and they explained what period of history each one of these flags was used. Mm -hmm. It started out with uh, the flag that flew over Fort Sumner. So you do. So we do. All right. Um, did you notice any major changes in St. Louis from uh, the result of the war? I don't, nothing that really had an impact on me. On uh, but on the city? On the city itself, uh, the city continued to, to decline and the suburbs continued to grow. Oh. The, the difference in uh, segregation due to integrating the troops, did that have a Oh, I guess it had a indirect impact. Uh, it just took a little longer to happen at uh, the local level mm -hmm. than it did uh, in the military. Mm -hmm. All right, George. Anything you want to ask me, or did no? anything you want to add? That I I tell you what, there are there are still some people around who are a little bit older than I am that are active in scouting that uh, were, I'll say that were adults at the beginning of World War mm -hmm. Two, yeah. who you might contact. Okay, uh, I want to get a sense of what the scouts did and then when I spoke to you and you at 15 had been a scout and at 17 in the Navy, I thought it was a good connection. Yeah. We, we didn't look at your well, objects. The, uh, the other thing would be, have you talked to Scout Headquarters? No. No. I'm trying to, well, after you called, uh, I got to thinking about the staff down there, and uh, I don't think any of them were old enough to remember World War II. That seems to be the case in a, uh, a lot of places. The. Um, I can do it. it. It seems as though I've had more luck with individuals. Well, the, the man that was the chief scout here during this period is a man named Russell Hart. And he still lives in St. Louis. Okay. I'll write his name down and, and I'm, look him up and give him a call. Russell uh, Hart. Yeah. H-A-R-T? Uh-huh. Okay. Thank you. Well, let's see what you have. Well, no, I... No, this, these pictures. Oh, those are just pictures of the officers that were on that ship I was okay. on. You know. This is Joe. This is not you. Oh, no. No, no. Are you here? No. No, you were not an see, officer. I was not an officer. But in that... Those, those were just other personal papers. That was a plaque the Marine Corps gave a ship. If you can barely read that. I, you don't have a picture of you as a boy scout. <laughs> as a boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do at home, Collect I think. Collecting scrap? <laughs> <laughs> no.